Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional song making at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org slash audit. We're so excited to welcome you back to the Midwest. The Midwest. The mid <laughs> Laura and Sam making the Midwest cool. 2023. So yeah. cool. We're Bless here us. to make the Midwest cool. Because we're the coolest people who have ever existed. <laughs> <laughs> this is Song Cycle, where we gab with cool people who bring their innovative ideas and projects to life to contribute to a more vibrant society through song. I'm your host, Sam Martin, founding artistic director of Cincinnati Song Initiative. Let's get into it. Whether it's performers with amazing stories from the stage, entrepreneurs and administrators who work tirelessly to push our industry forward in exciting ways, composers with an eye toward the future of song, or anybody else in this big community, I want to hear from them and share their stories with you. All right, everybody, welcome to our next episode of Song Cycle, season three. Today's guest I'm delighted to talk to. She is a member of Cincinnati Song Initiative's Advisory Council, is a good friend, and uh, I'm excited for you to hear from her and all about her. So let's kick it off. Recognized by the New York Times for her, quote, flexible voice, crystalline diction, and warm presence, Soprano Laura Strickling is celebrated for her work performing and promoting art song with an emphasis on new additions to the canon. Nominated for a 2022 Grammy Award for Best Classical Vocal Solo Album for Confessions, Laura Strickling's debut recording makes, quote, a strong statement about the status of contemporary art songs and her commitment to them. She curated the New Music Shelf Anthology of Contemporary Art Song for Soprano, and her upcoming album releases include 40 at 40 with pianist Daniel Schlossberg on the Bright Shiny Things label. She was featured in the May 2021 issue of Classical Singer Magazine for her advocacy work in commissioning and recording new music and has appeared with countless organizations, including the Brooklyn Art Song Society, Cincinnati Song Initiative, Mexico Leader Fest, Calliope's Call, Lyric Fest, Kiarina Chamber Players, Join Singing, the American List Society, Baltimore Leader Weekend, National Sawdust, and the Brooklyn New Music Collective, among many others. She has been a featured performer at the New Music Gathering and presented a radio broadcast recital of American songs on live from WFMT in Chicago with pianist Daniel Schlossberg. Laura and pianist Lisa Stepanova were 2017 artists in residence at the Yellow Barn Music Festival, 
where they presented a program of Granados and modern songs in Spanish, including the world premiere of Ciudades del Porvenir by Reynaldo Moya. Equally acclaimed for her work on the concert stage, she has appeared at Carnegie Hall, Avery Fisher Hall at Lincoln Center, the Kennedy Center, National Sawdust, Trinity Church on Wall Street, Washington National Cathedral, and the Opera America Center. A Chicago native, Ms. Strickling is an avid traveler, having lived in Morocco, where she studied classical Arabic at the Arabic Language Institute of Fez and Kabul, where her husband was the founding chair of the Department of Law at the American University of Afghanistan. She currently makes her home in St. Thomas of the U.S. Virgin Islands, not for long, though, where she mm-hmm. cultivates an extensive collection of orchids and enjoys Caribbean life with her husband, Taylor, and their daughter, Elizabeth, as well as Dido, the Maltese poodle. We will hear all about how Caribbean life is coming to an end uh, as they get ready to make a big move. But for now, we welcome Laura Strickling to the pod. Welcome, Laura. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. I thought you were going to shorten that bio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the short version of the bio. Everybody, everybody go and read the full thing. It's impressive. I, I cut it down to be art song heavy, but Laura has had her fingers in all um, all corners of vocal uh, music, professionally speaking, opera, concert work, art song, whatever you have. Uh, Laura is incredible at doing it, and she's one of the brightest shining stars of great attitude, camaraderie, um, optimism. So I'm just loving on you here, Laura, but it's so great oh, to have you on the you. pod. I'm so happy to be here. So this is a podcast, as you all know, audio only, but I'm going to describe to you Laura Strickling right now. Her (laughs) hair is up in some sort of bun as it gets very hot in her completely empty room of her soon-to-be former U.S. Virgin Islands St. Thomas home. Correct. We just sent everything we love on a boat en route to wisconsin because we after nine years of living in st thomas u.s virgin islands we are moving to racine wisconsin everything we own left yesterday and we leave in less than two weeks Mm -hmm. to begin a new life in the midwest Mm -hmm. on the mainland uh your friends in cincinnati are could not be more excited to welcome you to the midwest (laughs) back to the midwest since you're from chicago yeah, you'll have to teach me how to deal with the snow again because I think I forgot. <laughs> can do, can do. Do not remember snow life. <laughs> well, we got you. You're you're gonna learn the easy way or the hard way. It'll be the hard way, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> yes, probably coming from the U.S. Virgin Islands, I would assume so. Okay, so let's jump in. So, Laura, before we get into, we have a new album to talk about for you. That's a, that's about to be released. In fact, the first single dropped today. I just saw. Um, But before we get to all those specifics, let's get to know you a little bit. And can you tell us about how you got your start in music, how you came to the vocal world, and then specifically how you developed such a passion and advocacy for the world of song? I have a pretty cliche entree into the world of singing, which is my father was a pastor and I Mm -hmm. started singing in church and I was always that girl who sings in church. And then I was that girl who sings in school and I was in choir and in um, elementary school and junior high and high school. I was always just that girl who sings. And um, then I went to college for singing and, and I can't, I can't really remember a part of my life where I didn't identify primarily as that girl who sings. Um, and I didn't know exactly what that meant as a career. Um, and I certainly didn't know what that meant as a career when I graduated from college. And so after college, and there was certainly after grad school even, um, I quit for four years after grad school. I kind of um, 
had no direction. I didn't know how to make the things I had learned work for me as a person who was trying to be this thing outside of an academic environment. And so I stopped singing. Uh, my husband and I moved to Morocco. We studied Arabic for a year. Um, I was the accreditation specialist for the National Office for Arts Accreditation. I kind of was looking for who could I be if I wasn't a singer, but ultimately I was a singer. And so uh, I found my way back to it. Um, and the way I found my way back to it was um, I started taking voice lessons again at the age of 29 and um, entered some competitions and met Rosemary Heiler Ritter. Um, she was playing piano. Uh, she was the, uh, a collaborative pianist for another singer in a competition. And she is the founder of Songfest. And she invited me to be a Stern Fellow at Songfest in, I believe it was 2011 was my first summer there. And that is where I fell in love with song and the expressive capabilities of the human voice and what that could mean for me. And so that summer I went to Songfest, the next summer I went to Songfest and Ravinia, and then the following summers, the following two summers I went to Tanglewood, and that mm. just kind of, it just kind of snowballed into, um, a, I guess, a, I hope, a lifelong career and passion for song and for new music and for um, the community of people mm -hmm. who work in song and new music and new opera. That's fantastic. And I would say that you are definitely a binding glue for all of us, you know, at least in America, who are so passionate about song and um, to whatever extent there is a song network. Um, I think you're at, a, at, at the center of it all in a lot of different ways. And so, I mean, I, I remember when, um, I remember when Basically, we were starting Cincinnati Song Initiative back in 2014. You were one of the first people that came across my radar as someone that we needed to know and be friends with and and look to for inspiration and motivation and all sorts of ideas and stuff. So can confirm your, <laughs> your passion and your love of this genre and how it grew over all those years is very evident. So I love that. I love that. And um, I don't know. I don't know how cliche that story is, given your hiatus to Afghanistan and all that incredible <laughs> life experience you gained. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people start singing in um, religious environments as sure. as young people because mm -hmm. it's one of the last places um, in kind of public life where music expression is encouraged. Mm -hmm. um, I was trying to think about. I have a young daughter, and. Um, I've been trying to think of like where is she going to have musical experiences in her right. life. Um, the, her school doesn't really have a music program, her current school, uh, and the school that she's going to be going to in Wisconsin does, and that's why we chose it. They're actually like they teach music theory starting in like first grade, um, and they have wow. choir starting in first first grade, which was like is very unique. All the other schools yeah. I looked at, start, choir didn't start until middle school, so. I think I chose this school because of their robust <laughs> music program, but it's actually quite true that there are very few, um, there are very few places in this modern day and age, and unless you're uh, very involved with like a religious community, that um, stress and allow even opportunities for communal singing or just kind of the expression of allowing someone to stand in front of people and express themselves vocally. It's it's kind of a wild thing, and I think it's. It's kind of it's 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 sadly becoming this very rare thing, which is yeah. um, wild because it's it's the only instrument we're all born with. Right. It's right. It's this it's this innate human thing that like 
in theory, like we should just all be doing it every day. Can you imagine if like life was a musical yeah. and we just all like sang through our days because we can, because we all have this ability to express ourselves instead of just speaking, we all just kind of chose uh, based on our mood to sing what we have to say or how we feel like we could do that i'm it's kind of strange like how, why didn't we decide like as humans to to do that because we could have <laughs> we chose speaking i love how boring is that we chose speaking i know very boring. <laughs> i think a lot of people would really love to go through their life uh in musical version in musical format um i love it and it makes sense and i'm so glad that those um musical education you know experiences are going to be available to you and your daughter that's well, just it's, it's one these. my one kid and this kid's at the school but i do wish i do wish it was available to a lot more kids yeah yeah uh, funding and support for the arts in early age settings like that is so critical and so it's great to hear that that'll be um in your new place of home yeah there's things to look forward to do you have any song idols whether it's performers that inspired you early on that you heard albums of or saw live or composers i mean who who helped get you passionate about this stuff based on what they did that you heard? Different people at different stages. You know, I think the very first person who turned me on to like American song was Renee Fleming. Mm -hmm. um, she had this CD of like Andre Previn's um, songs and uh, uh, she did the Previn vocalese and the three Dickinson songs, I believe. And I programmed both of those on my senior recital in college because nice. I just thought they were, so, I just loved the language of them and the, and the, yeah the harmonies and the way I, I mean she's just you know she's this pillar of of mm -hmm. vocal beauty and and kind of community mm -hmm. the the way she kind of puts herself out there as, as as a leader in every way i just have always respected her so much um but you know that that cd i think opened my eyes to like kind of the possibility right and that was mm -hmm. well before i i thought of myself as someone who you know really understood song or like wanted to pursue song primarily or you know as a as a sort of passion project um but she uh, I, I remember just like kind of playing that cd that's how old i am in my dorm room <laughs> until i until it like you know melted you know because i just loved it so much <laughs> um <laughs> and 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 also you know dawn upshaw um she uh -huh. had i can't remember the specific cd but there was this really wonderful cd of hers and I can just like feel that the the vibrations of that CD in my soul as well, um, and and Arlene Auger and Barbara Bonney, you know, these were the people who I was listening to when I was in college, and then I had my you know kind of like long break, uh, and then you know I kind of was looking at the people around me uh, as I as I entered into my own kind of like emerging artist period. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was looking around me at the uh, at my peers and what they were doing and how how they were um, against all odds. You know, because I think at every point, as a singer, you're told you know you need to be primarily per, per, you need to be primarily um, pursuing opera as a career. And if you're not, you're not going to have a career, and you're not a legitimate singer. That's right. kind of the message that's told to us, right? Right. And I love right. opera. I would do more of it. I haven't I haven't you know built my network there, so I'm not as I'm not as employed in the opera realm as I am in the song realm. I would love to do more of it. It's just not where I've built my network. But, you know, we're kind of told as singers, like, that's the only option. Like, you don't have other options as singers. You have to do opera. And so, um, you know, I kind of looked at my friends and I was kind of like looking at what they were doing. Like, who's, who's doing cool stuff despite not getting a young artist program 
contract, you know, because when you're in your late 20s, early 30s, you're looking around like, who's still out there? Who's still doing right. stuff? Right. Um, some people, you know, got the golden ring and, and, you know, got early encouragement through very big opportunities, but not everyone did. And they were still singing, you know, so right. what are they doing? What, how are they, how are they making it work? And then, and, and everyone was kind of scrappy and making interesting opportunities for themselves. And so right. I took a lot of inspiration from my peers, like Martha Guth and Mary McKenzie and uh, Michael Kelly and um, gosh, who else was I just loving at that time? And still loving, you know, people who right. they're still doing this, these things. Um, oh man, this, this is hard. I'm like picking myself back in time. But you know, you'll, if you if you look around, these the, these are the people who just like they just they they have the most creative things going on. Yeah. And oh oh, like you know, um, Nick Pot. You know, he, he's right. he's kind of amazing and has everything he does. You just like you see like just so much love and creativity behind it. Right. Um, and so like, you know, and I would actually say he's become a superstar since. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you saw at that time, this is again like 10 years ago, you know, you saw the, the beginnings of that. You saw these right. people who, who um, were working so hard because this is, this is what they well, loved. And it lines up perfectly with the timeline pretty much of, you know, one of the great shifts at least that happened in America um, over 10 years ago now, but in 08 when there was a huge exodus of traditional opportunities around that time um, Correct. of yes. financial support shift. And, um, you know, there's certain indicators that that trend continues. And so, oh, yeah, for sure. um, yeah, so well, like, just the I, I, era. I, I've and said I've, this recently. It's like a, 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 an inexpensively produced opera doesn't mm -hmm. look great. A cheap right. opera doesn't look great. Right. A cheap art song concert can look so expensive. You yeah. know? So so if we're going out there, and you can still tell amazing stories through art yeah. song. So yeah. if you are being creative about your programming, you can do amazing things on a local level that mm -hmm. will just wow people. Mm -hmm. Um <laughs> through art song that you can't accomplish in opera just because you don't need an orchestra. You don't need costumes. You right. don't need sets. And you can make it look so professional. And, you know, singers love art song. You know, if yes. you give them a chance, like they're going to do something really special with it because it really allows them to take something and make it their own in a way that sometimes opera doesn't because there's so much performance practice history um, right. and weight of, of, kind of how things are done in opera that that we all have to kind of take on um and art song has a little bit less of that so you mm -hmm. you get you get to kind of see what a singer can do and and really like take on their artistry mantle uh when you hand them a set of art songs instead of an opera aria not yeah. that i don't think that you know an opera aria can't show what an, an artist can do no. i'm just saying it's different there's like a different yes. way of approach Yes, and I don't think I don't think we're um, pitting either genre against each other, but but these sort of inherent differences um, that do exist, uh, song concerts just lend themselves. I mean, they're just they're smaller in scale in every way, and like you said, there's no orchestra, there's no production, there's no um, no conductor lighting, no con yeah, no conductor. So you don't actually have a centralized um, decision making process about how about the artistic decisions right between a director Correct. and a and a conductor um and so it's the it's the free wide open range 
you know, with Which some singers concerts. find like a little unsettling, right? If they've yeah, only yeah. done a lot of opera, they're like, wait, but what I, what do I do? And I'm, right. I'm, I'm constantly telling, you know, younger singers who haven't been given that opportunity, this is your chance. Yeah. Don't ask me, tell me what you want to do. Like I can give you tools for your toolbox and give you ideas, mm -hmm. but ultimately every single time you get up there, you're going to be making decisions in the moment, you and your pianist, you'll have done all this work together before you get on the stage to perform, but you're going to be making decisions in the moment. You're never going to perform it the same way twice yes. because you're not a recording and you're going to be performing in the moment, making artistic decisions and it, the buck stops with you. And like, what are you going to do with your chance? You know, and I find that very intimidating, yeah. <laughs> but also really exciting to be able to create in that way. And again, with opera, you, you, you can't work that way because you will upset the ship. You, you need right. to, right. you need consistency of, because otherwise, you know, your, your conductor is not going to know what you're doing. Your, your peers are not going to be able to know what their marks, you know, they're not going to be able to hit their marks. Like you, their consistency is key because they need, you need to keep, you need to keep the ship of a right, right. Um, uh, for the, for everything to go well. But right. with art song, you have some, you have a little more freedom to, to make choices in the moment that you, is if, as long as you trust your partner to go with you, and most of us do because we work together so hard, like you can do some really exciting, fun, different things and take chances yeah. that you just can't do in other situations artistically. Right. right. It's it's so it's so special in that way. So that you kind of you kind of mentioned it. Let's segue into. Uh, let's hear a little bit about your process, if you have a singular process, or at least what your uh, general blueprint is when you're putting together. A song program because like you mentioned before it, it is a unique opportunity to share so much of not just yourself as an artist but to to tell basically any kind of story that you might want any kind of overarching through line via a full song program and so tell us about how you go about thinking about that so that it doesn't so that your song programs don't just wind up as you know uh, junior recital, cookie cutter, you know, required era music, you know, right. program. <laughs> how do you, how do you, how do, how do you graduate from that, um, which has its place in, in a has learning place. Absolutely. Absolutely. To, to something that's professional and that can draw an audience in and that actually makes an impact. So I think there's a couple of, of caveats here. Like if there is something you need to program around specifically. So once I did a recital at a museum that was having a retrospective on a certain era of Japanese art. And so they asked me to incorporate that as part of my recital and I actually found this really amazing. I, I believe it was classical vocal reprints had just put out a anthology of Japanese art song that happened to match that period of, of art, you know, that was happening at this museum. So I um, wor worked with a Japanese pianist to coach my diction and I learned I think um, I think it was maybe six of those songs and I paired them with um, Mark's songs that had thematically poetically thematically similar themes so um, I kind of like put them together um, and did a set with this Mark's and these Japanese songs um, and that was kind of cool and I liked how they interplayed um, and again, it was it was the poems that brought them together, and I think that actually the eras matched as well. So that oh, was nice. kind of cool, like East East yeah. West, and like, um, and so that 
can, if you if you go if you have something fixed like that that can help you think creatively and things will just kind of ka-chunk fall into place and like right um if you have something like that as your cornerstone then you can work outwards from that so knowing right. that i had that piece what works well with marks and these japanese composers like what 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 fills out that hour program and i don't actually remember what i maybe i did some strauss um gosh it's been so long i definitely did some america oh we did um james matheson's times alone song cycle um which uh is is really lovely and um kind of fits a theme as well of uh, the poetry um but um I'm, I'm basically in every instance i'm going to approach it differently but the one thing mm -hmm. i try never to do is to do a recital of all new to me music that is setting yourself up for disaster right. <laughs> um an hour hour and a half long recital is a marathon there's right. very few endeavors in singing where you will be on stage for singing for an entire hour, hour and a half. Right. Um, and so, um, you know, in an opera, you're going to be singing. I think, I don't remember, someone said once what the longest, got to be Wagner, but, you know, kind of what would the, the longest singular right. role on stage was. And it definitely wasn't, you know, wasn't, it wasn't like an hour and a half. It was yeah. Yeah, Maybe even Susanna from Figaro is is one of the longest, you know, just in terms of time, and it doesn't, you know, yeah. It, if you're by yourself in a song recital, that is just a completely different. Well, it's not just a vocal game, a vocal yeah. um, stamina game. It's a, a mental stamina game, right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so you want to make sure that you're giving yourself time to take a, a slight tension break. For right. yourself because right. anytime you perform something that's brand new there's going to be that like oh no am i going to forget a word oh no am i gonna, you know it's just when any anytime something's new to you you're going to be a little more um tense about it um, than something that's comfortable you know your voice you don't have to worry about the technique you don't have to worry about the words staying in your brain so i almost never perform a, an entirely new program if i can help it um the so then i will kind of look at my um repertoire that is very, 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 very comfortable to me. And I will decide like, what do I feel like performing? What fits this event? What have I not sung in this city before? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, what have I done with this pianist before? You know, there's all kinds of little things like um, that might go into deciding what my, f the first piece that I'm building off of is. Um, and then a, a lot of times, once I've got that first piece in place, I'll decide whether or not I'm going to stick with the language or depart from it. So if say that I choose Poulenc's fiancé pour rire, do I want to pair it with more French or do I want that to be the only French on the program? Um, do I want more Poulenc or do I right. want to go start with something contrasting, something older, something newer? Um, do I, I'm, I am always going to have new american music on the program because that is one of my passions and i am always looking for ways not only to premiere things because i have so much music that i've commissioned that i'm constantly looking for ways to to sing it uh, to premiere it for the first time um it's a weird problem to have i've had so many things that need to be premiered that you know i'm kind of um, looking for opportunities to do that but it is kind of like a particular personal burden i have it's like <laughs> i need to find places to sing these things yes. so that everybody 
that so that everybody I know who's reaching out to me who thinks that they want sung gets, you know, it gets sung. So a lot of times in my particular case, half of the program is going to be new American music, if not world premieres, because I just have, I'm, I'm not even joking when I say at least once a week I get, I get an email from a composer saying, hey, could you premiere this or could you do this? That's and I, wonderful. And I want to. Yes, it is wonderful. It is a <laughs> gift. It is a gift and I want to do it. And so like, uh, if I can find time in my performance schedule to learn new music and find a performance opportunity to perform new music outside, even outside of my own commissioning projects, like I want to do it because this is this is good for our community. Mm -hmm. It's good for the composer. It's good for other singers. It's good for it's good for com the the like listening the audience. Like it's good for them. Like it's so exciting to be able to tell an audience like literally you sitting here mm -hmm. are the first people on the planet to ever hear this how exciting <laughs> and what an honor you know like it is it's very exciting so like if i can give them that experience i want to right and uh -huh. so it's it's just like this is so that for me you know is 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 a mission i would say a personal mission right um, <laughs> and i would say you know something as far, as far as the 40 at 40 project has gone i don't know if we haven't really talked about that but the 40 at 40 project was my birthday present to myself when i turned 40 i commissioned 40 songs from 40 composers and it really became the beginning of a personal mission to commission um with intentionality as, as much as i can um this within my ability and you know right. uh finances and all those things um but um the, <laughs> the 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 thing that has come out of that is this just like this idea that like the reason it worked and the reason that it has been so important for me personally uh, is that it was collaborating with my friends right. and finding ways to strengthen my community and to collaborate and build my community. And I really, really want other singers, other composers, other pianists to do that as well. Because I know that in my own educational journey, in my own like early professional journey, none of that was stressed to me, that that was important, that that was even possible. And mm. I wish it had been earlier because yeah. I feel like I shouldn't have figured that out when I was 40. I should have figured that out when yeah. I was 21. And I should have been premiering and working on composers' music that were at my schools. Like I should have been working on these relationships when I was in school and building these ability to approach a new score. Like the, all of that was stuff I learned way too late. And you, I, I could say that, you know, maybe I just wasn't ready, you know, I'll give myself a break, you know, this all, you know, let you evolve as an artist, you evolve as a musician, you know, or whatever. But I still say, like, I, the thing when I talk to younger singers, it was like, start now, because you will never regret building your community, strengthening your ties with other musicians, understanding who are the people in your direct network like the people at your school the people in your town who are working in new music and making music right now mm -hmm. who you need to work with to make sure that you are partnering with to make sure that you have the strongest musical community that you can because that's how you build audiences right. and that's how you build a future for this art form but also for just music in general um and that's how we all work together and keep this whole thing going <laughs> uh so like let's like it is possible for you yourself to to commission and to um to it, this is not some like weird thing that i am doing that is not possible yeah. for this. anyone can do it yeah <laughs> yeah i've had this conversation with with several people performers and composers over the years it's and i don't 
it, it seems like there's been a huge um, steepening of the curve in terms of um, recently, especially uh, probably COVID helped it out when it was just so easy to get in touch uh, remotely. And that was the only way that we had available to us for performers to, to gain access basically to, and to be in touch with composers um, in one of the most open and casual ways. I mean, I think it just keeps getting more and more that way. And we, we we're all learning how, easy it is to reach out to especially other uh, you know american composers who live in the same country that we do here and just ask them if it's about a piece that they already have written um hey can i send you a recording and get your notes or can we have a coaching on this piece or in your case hey i would love to commission a song or a cycle from you and and asking those questions actually starts the relationship in my yeah. experience. Yeah. And they want to. They they wrote they love the stuff they wrote. Oh, it yeah. means something to them. And they would love to answer your questions. Mm -hmm. And it's so much easier. Like when I like ten years ago, I remember the first time I tried to communicate with Clarice Assad about her song Cycle Confessions because I wanted to have her write a piano score, a piano reduction, because it was originally written for soprano and piano trio. And I wanted it in piano reduction so I could take it to competitions and I could not find her contact information to save my life because this right. was before people had personal websites. Right. I had to go through like a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend to get her email address. And it was like a big deal. Now everyone has a personal website. It is so easy to get yeah. in contact with these people. And they are totally geeked that you oh, of course. care enough to contact them. Please do it. Never think. I mean, I suppose it's possible that like a really, really famous composer might not have time to return your email. Might happen. I doubt it because even they care that you care. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. And and the point being, you know, you'll you'll have a different experience. There's a spectrum of experiences one can have when reaching out to composers based on their level of, you know, busyness or whatever. But like the 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 overarching lesson being like shoot your shot it's easy everybody's accessible now and if it doesn't work for a specific reason that's completely fine but in more cases than not it works and it works well composers are thrilled to be um to learn of performances of their music coming up if they've got time sure. you know they could even uh send some notes you know i find a, a really good sort of um uh, compromise uh, if you can't, you know, find a time to meet live to to work on or to meet with them is to send them a recording with your pianist and say, could you provide any feedback um, on our working session of this cycle of yours, et cetera, et cetera, or whatever. Um, and then obviously, and if of course, they don't have time to send feedback, they will be glad you sent it. Yes. You know, yes, they will be glad exactly. So like all that's to say is, you know, shoot your shot. And um, it's never been easier for singers, pianists and composers to connect in today's day and age. So I think that's the overarching uh, message of that. And I think it's really helping. Um, honestly, it, it's helping American art song at large come into its own as a really vibrant body of song that, you know, maybe 50 years ago wasn't the case it was still the you know ugly duckling of of song in terms of from countries all around the world but just the sheer matter of time that has passed um you well, know I think, there's a ton I think out this, there now I, the, this idea of like creative programming so we're getting back to this programming question right um right it's so possible to have like an, a, an entire program about one theme. And, and that actually, you know, I've seen that work to great success. I've also seen that fail horribly. Like <laughs> I might not want 
to hear an entire hour and a half of slow German songs about about one idea. Of one course. Slow. If it's course. all one one topic, but they're all slow German songs, it might not it might not fly, right? Like someone yeah. in the audience might be like, "But why? This was yeah. really a lot of slow German, and it was too much." Maybe Precisely. it could have not been all slow German songs for an hour and a half. That that didn't appeal to me. Um, and then, but then, you know, another guy sitting across the aisle will be like, that was my jam. I loved every second. Thank you for doing this slow German songs for an hour and a half. That's all I wanted in life. So, you know, every art is subjective. So keep that in mind. Um, but in general, um, you know, I've seen programs that take an idea like, okay, the, like the idea of like the, the, the before, during, and after a love affair, like it, it, it blossoms, it blooms, it falls apart like that you know that's the recital like that's a cool idea right there's all kinds of ways that you can tell a story in 20 small acts and there the nice thing about song is that it's quite literally exhaustive there's nothing you can't find a song about and in fact if i can't find a song about it that's kind of what i've been doing about with my commissioning um right. <laughs> like right. oh hey you know there's no songs about like how much it kind of sucks to be a mom sometimes <laughs> um and one of my friends wrote a song about how hard it is to yeah. reconceive yourself once you have a baby like this she she wrote the words she wrote the music but boy did i relate to that and that's a song that's right. on my new cd and and when i read I, there, even as my pianist like i, I was so taken aback by this song when she sent it to me that we couldn't practice it like maybe the first three sessions after she sent it to me i broke down so hard in mm -hmm. rehearsals that we didn't actually we only we got around to actually being able to practice it until like maybe the fourth right and even then i would kind of like tear up but yeah. i could get through it and it wasn't until we actually like recorded that it recorded it that i actually you know could do it but right. you know there was something kind of so primally devastating about this words that this woman had written that I related to as much as I adore my daughter and as much as I love being a mom these words devastated me on a core level and I don't think that there are many moms who won't hear this song and have the same reaction that I did and there's no other song out there like that there right. isn't you know and so but there are so many songs on so many topics that you can kind of pick something and just start flipping and start seeing what there is. And if you don't say, well, every song in my recital has to be in Italian, you kind of let yourself explore all of the songs from all of the eras in every possible language and see how everybody has dealt with this particular topic. You might find yourself in like some really interesting territory and taking your audience on a really interesting journey. Um, you don't have to have four Italian songs by Rossini as a set. You can mix it up, you know, right. let yourself think outside the box. There's right. no one way to do this. And I think that the more outside of the box you let yourself go, and I fall into this trap too, because I'm human and I'm like, I like the way things, I like it when things look neat and tidy on a page. Right. Um, but the the more we think about audience experience, like what the audience is going to take away, how they're going to understand the topic better, their humanity better, mm -hmm. um, the human like the human experience, the ages better, 
right? Right. Like you can say this is how the Italians in the 17th century saw this topic, <laughs> but this is how an American in the 21st century thinks about it. Like that's yeah. fascinating, right? Yeah. Um, and I just uh, like I, I just think we're all kind of like singing songs for the sake of songs, or singing songs because I like singing. The sound of my voice is really pretty. We lose the idea that like the audience wants to be. I will use the word entertained, but that sounds privileged. And what I really mean to say is they want to feel something. Yes. They, yeah. And the more you make them feel something, the faster they're going to come back to oh, yeah. see you do it again. And that's how you build your audience. It's the only path forward. And again, I've had this conversation in a different form with many people. It's the only path forward in, in 21st century um, classical music, as far as I'm concerned. And I don't mean that in a... Um, in a perilous, dire sense, I just mean it has never been more important for the art that is made in today's society to reflect and to speak viscerally in a in a in a content sort of way and in a meaning sort of way to the audience, as opposed to I definitely think it could be argued that in past centuries there was it was just in the culture that people attend these sort of events you know more on the spectrum of art for the sake of art right and not that there weren't important stories being told that were contemporary at the time but you did have a facet of people that would literally patronize and and fill houses and halls in an it, more in an art for the sake of art sort of way and i think it has been never more vital or visceral that um there is this sort of human, societal, cultural connection and meaning that we create and provide for audiences. Well, and don't you kind of wish we could get back to the idea of like these like house gatherings? Because yes, I mean, I know none of none of us have. We don't. We can't afford to have houses. Our generation. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck us. But like you know, there's kind of this like, wouldn't it be cool if we could just like casually get together yes. and like perform for each other and like have food and wine and just kind of like chill and it's no big yes. deal and it's not there's no pressure and like if someone doesn't like if someone cracks like no one's like oh oh my right. gosh like i'm so right. embarrassed for them like no we're just like yes they they went for it they tried it didn't work but we're all here we're all friends yeah. like i love the idea of casual art making as a like a normal friday practice amongst friends and i right. wish that there were more opportunities to do that in modern life um i kind of have this like little like we i just have this dream that someday i will have a piano a piano in a living room and be able to to do that i mm -hmm. certainly am not there yet um but <laughs> i just i have so many talented friends and i would love to see them make art in an in a pressure-free environment right. um you know eugenia chang who's one of my 40 at 40 40 at 40 project composers has something called the Liederstube in Chicago, and she does she does the best version of this I've ever seen. Um, but it's at the um, the arts the fine arts building in Chicago on you know kind of I think it's either Thursday nights or Friday nights every once in a while, um, and you know it's in it's but it's still in a studio. Like I want to do it in my living room, and I want it to be so you know cool and cash and just like everybody like any song like bring some Joni Mitchell I want to hear you do it yeah and like yeah I just want to I would love to see the like singing of song and the expression of ourselves through music be part of our like weekly or daily human lives again <laughs> mm -hmm. I agree I agree all right <laughs> so you mentioned the 40 at 40 project this commissioning project that came about when you turned 40 
uh, you wanted to go all out um, to reach out to 40 different composers, commission a single song from each of them. And now that has blossomed into an album, right? Correct. All right. Yeah. So tell us about the album specifically. Okay. So uh, this was all, this, ugh, it was all kind of derailed <laughs> by the, <laughs> a long story, but basically, you know, I had this idea in 2019 and then of course, 2020 became the pandemic and like everything. That I, th- I think you were telling me about it when you were at CSI in 2020, which was yes. literally weeks before the shutdown. It, like weeks, like maybe days in fact, but yeah, so I had this idea. And I was kind of like, I think this is what I want to do with it. I want to, you know, commission 40 songs. I want to make a CD. I want to have, like, a big concert on my 40th birthday, which was April 2nd, 2021. And I want to, like, invite all, if I, you know, like, I'll be in New York. I'll invite all the composers, invite all my friends. We'll have, like, a big party. It'll be great. Oh, and, of course, like, the pandemic debauched a, the specific ideas I had and the timeline. And, and it just took forever to get everything done. And, um and so finally, at this point, <laughs> there is a CD, the first 20, 40 of 40 songs. Yeah. But the first 20 of the songs that were commissioned are coming out on August 18th on the Bright Shiny Things label. And the first single is now released. It is called Not Quite Stars by Julie, sorry, Juhi Bansal is the composer. Julie Baber is the poet. And um, it's absolutely beautiful. And so it's finally available. You can get it on any major platform.
Before the August 18th release date, you should be able to release three of the singles. And um, on any major platform, please save and favorite uh, so that people will, it'll show up on algorithms. Half of the reason this thing is happening is like, I work with all of these amazing people with whom I would not be a singer today if they had not, if their lives hadn't intersected with my life. Like, right. they... Either, you know, like in, in some cases, actually, like Tom Chapulo has championed me in very real strategic ways in very important moments in my life. Um, and and then in some in some ways, like just their learning their music informed who I was as an artist in other cases with some of these people. Like these people matter so much to me. I want to support their art, promote their art, and mm -hmm. not just the composers. Several of these poets are friends. One of them I went to high school with. One of them is a, uh, a resident of the island that I live on. Um, and, um, you know, so these people, these people aren't just composers or poets. Like, they're people who actually matter to me. And I want to make sure that their art makes an impact. So I feel yeah. like this great weight to, to not promote my own CD, but to, like, promote the work of my friends. So oh, yeah. I'm just, like, trying so hard to, like, get the word out. Like, please listen to these songs. Because if you listen to their songs then you might listen to their other songs. And if you listen to their other songs, then you might discover something that is the song that you were meant to sing. You might sing the song that I sang, and I would love that because I definitely don't want to gatekeep these songs. I want everyone singing them. But they've all written so many wonderful things, and nothing could be better than people actively seeking out their other, th other things that they've written and them kind of becoming, you know, part of the the modern canon of of of, of song composers and and what people want to hear and what people want to sing from the things that are being written today. It's kind of funny the things people that we think about from like the twentieth century, the the pillars of, of song composition in the twentieth twentieth century. Like we get to decide that for the twenty first century. You and me, the things that yeah. we decide to sing are the things that people will remember. And so, um, you know, it's important to me that like I. Yeah champion the people who I think are out there working hard, making a contribution. Um, and you know, so help me. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's such an amazing project. It's so, um, mind bending to think about, I mean, to your point that we are creating all this in, in this moment in time, uh, here in America, I mean, just the same as the composers of, of Les Cis all had champions, you know, doing their music 
and uh, all sorts of other composers that uh, were championed by other performers or patrons or whatever, whether it was during their lifetimes or after. But like right now, the time that we're living in, we have the ability and and the power and the uh, voice to to make that happen um, uh, here in this country and the here and now. So that's so cool. The project is amazing. It's so inspiring. I loved it. The instant you told me about it, all the way back in the before times. <laughs> before times. <laughs> and um, everybody can, you can save it and favorite it and pre-order it on any platform. Uh, when this episode drops, it won't quite be released yet, but there'll be a couple singles out. August 18th is when the whole kit and caboodle is out. And um, that's the first 20 songs or 20 out of the 40 songs for the 40 at 40 project. So uh, get thee to your nearest streaming platform, my friends. And (laughs) Laura, I can't thank you enough for, I just love talking to you because you're like this font of spontaneous, amazing uh, thought and philosophy on song and the world in which we live in today and how it all relates together. You're so inspiring and you bring such depth and breadth uh, to these kinds of conversations. And I am so excited for everybody else to hear and listen and get to know you a little bit better through this episode. And um, without- well, I'm inspired by you because without you, we don't, without people like me, we the people who perform like me don't have a place to perform. I wish there was one of you in every single city in this country. <laughs> so people out there listening who like song, I, this is your official invitation to start a song organization in yes. your living room and to start a song pa- podcast. And to, <laughs> um, because you can do a lot with just a little as, yep. as far as song is concerned and everyone can do it. Sam happens to do it very, very well. We can't all be Sam Martin, but we can all we can all promote song in our corner of the world. <laughs> it's true. I would love to see a song organization in every city. And you're right. It's it. it's so it's it's easier than a lot of other uh, genres to produce. So get on it, folks. Get inspired and get into it. Or just create uh, your own private opportunity in a, in your, in a local church or in anybody's living room that'll have you invite some friends, whatever. There's no right answer for this kind of stuff. And um, we'll see what blossoms from there. So, all right, Laura, you were an inspiration to us all. I can't thank you enough. Have a great time moving. <laughs> we'll, we'll see you on the other side here in the Midwest. And thank you again for stopping by. Thank you for having me. Well, folks, there's nothing else for me to say. If you're looking for a role model on how to build a versatile and rewarding career that brings a bunch of different people together to make great art, look no further than Laura Strickland. I hope you take that leap to reach out to a composer to ask them about their music, or get yourself together with some collaborators and produce your dream recital program in your hometown, or figure out any other way to make what you love doing a reality. It's possible, and in many cases, it's easier than you may think it will be. Go for it. What was your favorite part about this episode? Let me know when you rate, review, and subscribe this podcast. It's the best way to help the show reach other song lovers, and isn't that what it's all about? Catch new episodes of Song Cycle every fourth Thursday of the month, wherever you podcast. Song Cycle is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. 
You can learn more about its network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org slash podcasts. That's all for now, songsters. We'll see you next time.